she's like a gentle seed planted in the soil if it's nurtured well if it's taken care of well but taken care in a way you don't step on it you step back let the seed bloom let it grow let it evolve and then it really the fragrance is out there welcome to the art of humanity i'm your host jessica ann this is my podcast where you can listen for fresh perspectives with artists leaders authors and your favorite entrepreneurs you can explore creativity and consciousness evolve your business with the art of humanity now here's this week's episode Welcome to another episode of The Art of Humanity. Today, I'm thrilled to have my dear friend, fellow author and poet, Shandrash. Shandrash offers penetrating questions and self-inquiry practices to help us separate our own truth from the products of the status quo. He's a consistent and supportive voice in the often misunderstood world of Tantra. Shandrash and I met in LA back in November of 2016 at the 140 conference which was hosted by Jeff Pulver, who I interviewed in the very first episode of this podcast. We met about one month after I moved to LA. We've been mutual supporters of each other's work and particularly poetry. In this interview, we peel back the layers of society and culture to understand what it means to be human and in particular, a woman in a world that wants to objectify the feminine. It's still pretty taboo for women to publicly celebrate their sexuality But my guest today explains the difference between sensuality and sexuality as we deconstruct this taboo. Throughout this season, we've talked about consciousness and ways to access higher consciousness. But this is the first episode where we dive into how to channel this energy, this essence of creation. The truth is that energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be transformed. And this reminds me of a saying by Usho. He writes, sexual energy is a double-edged sword. Going downward, it serves biology. Going upward, it serves spirituality. I'll read that again. Sexual energy is a double-edged sword. Going downward, it serves biology. Going upward, it serves spirituality. To illustrate Osho's basic teaching around sex, he once related an old Buddhist fable of two celibate monks preparing to cross a river. Before they begin to wade across, an attractive young woman approaches them and asks one of them to carry her across as the river is somewhat deep. One of the monks agrees to do it. The other monk is aghast as they both have taken vows to not only be celibate, but to never touch a woman either. And yet here is one of the monks agreeing to carry this young woman. When they get to the other side of the river, the woman thanks the monk for carrying her and goes on her way. At that point, the monk who did not carry her turns on his companion, accusing him of breaking his vows. Why, he demands, did you carry that woman? To which the first monk responds, I let her go already. It seems that you are the one who is still carrying her. This is a clever parable, and it sums up well the whole relationship between attachment and repression of desire. That being that the more we repress ourselves, the more attached we become to the object of our hidden desires. So let's get to today's episode. In today's interview, we discuss Shandrash's journey from a Wall Street exec to a spiritual advisor, how to have the courage to live your truth and trust the unknown, the power of gratitude, 
We also discuss the connection between poetry and tantra and how to connect to your sexual energy as life force, the difference between sensuality and sexuality, why podcasting is a spiritual practice. I truly believe that podcasting is the path to self-actualization. And this is good news for anyone who's into personal growth and who also wants to start a podcast. I've created a course that will not only help you launch, but it'll get your new podcast launched right with monetization in mind. I want to help you launch a successful podcast and convert existing podcasts into revenue-generating businesses. Join me as I guide you through the steps to launch a successful podcast focused on monetization from day one. For current podcast creators, the Profitable Podcast Course offers strategies to grow your audience and convert your fans into paying monthly subscribers. Using the course's proven tools and a weekly discussion group for live Q&A, you'll learn how podcasting can feed each and every part of your business. To learn more, DM me on socials at beingishuman or shoot me an email at hello at artofhumanity.io with podcast in the subject line. Let's go to today's interview with Chandrash as we get naked with the cosmic. Let's break the norms and let's go to the show. Welcome to the Art of Humanity, where we explore creativity and consciousness with artists, leaders, authors, and entrepreneurs. Today, I'm so excited to talk with Chandrash Bardwaj. He is a realist. He acknowledges darkness and light, lust and love, rebels and rule makers, and all facets of the human spirit. He's a modern age spiritual advisor who encourages people to flourish as their true selves. Chandrash hails from a lineage of seven generations of Indian spiritual healers and is a disciple of his father, His Holiness Sri Chamunda Swami, who is a universally recognized authority in spiritual healing. Initially bound to the financial world, he attended Zicklin School of Business in New York. Upon graduating, he pursued his passion for unleashing human potential with the help of meditation. Chandrash's experiences lend to his teaching philosophy, which combines ancient wisdom with modern approach to spirituality. A speaker and author, Chandrash is the author of the best-selling book, Break the Norms, which, by the way, has a foreword by His Holiness, Dalai Lama. He helps people rethink everything they know about the world around us. Chandrash, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jessica. You know, it's my pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Chandras, this season focuses on consciousness, the capital C, hmm. and hmm. how most of us are tapped into our deeper truths when we go and, and embark on this nonlinear path. So in reading hmm. your bio, it's pretty clear that you didn't start out as a spiritual advisor. You actually started out on Wall Street, which is the right. exact complete opposite of the quote unquote spiritual life that you now lead today. So... I love that you're real proof that there is an alternate way of life that isn't all about the traditional way that society views success. So I'm so curious to learn more. And I kind of know your path, but I love hearing it again. And I'd love to know <laughs> kind of how that nonlinear path led you from that masculine Wall Street exec energy to the softer, more feminine role as a spiritual advisor today. I, I love the way you phrased the question. I don't think anyone phrased it this beautifully. I usually have to explain to people that I had to embrace the feminine within to shift into the role of uh, the spiritual teacher. You know, it started 
at a pretty young age honestly the mix of both the worlds started you know at a very young age for me growing up in india my father as my guru or even just a lot of you know highly profound spiritual people around me i was always fascinated with spirituality so that was you know happening in its own organic way and i was having fun with it like i never took that path in a serious way and when i say that it didn't mean i didn't respect it i i was obsessed with it but there was no goal to achieve there was nothing you know that there was no agenda with it and i think that's what kept me going in such a powerful way with spirituality because when you become adult you become corrupted you start to have goals you start to calculate the whole thing you start to set the timers for your meditations but as a child i was so playful with it so having complete fun with it but at the same time i was also very ambitious to you know become successful in life the circle around me was also the friends the kids who came from very financially successful families so i i knew for sure that whatever i do i would want to be financially successful and being a spiritual teacher was never ever the plan i didn't even know it could have been a profession and i al- always felt that my father my grandfather my entire lineage is immensely profound and such powerful healers i don't think i am one so that thought never occurred to me so i i was working very hard to understand the dynamic of the financial world and that got me into the accounting and finance side of the things and i studied in wall street uh, in new york at baruch college zicklin school of business and then got into wall street it was at the wall street i started experiencing episodes of deeper frustration and unhappiness also in college i never had fun like i didn't enjoy the process but i started enjoying college only after i started writing spiritual blogs and articles for the college newspaper and those columns were not business columns they were about consciousness meditation relationships sexual energy and all that stuff and the editor of the newspaper she was very impressed with the feedback because it was a business newspaper it was a mini version of wall street journal newspaper run by the students of the college and she loved the response she gave me my own column and that was like a first i think a big motivation for me to get into this path to get deeper into this journey because i started feeling my strength and the unhappiness the frustrations of wall street were growing at the same time and i had invested some money of my own in stock market and the market was terrible at that time i actually saw people throwing stones at this huge powerful bank right in front of my building where i used to work it was very scary to watch that but i was still investing money in the stocks which were like 100 dollars at one point but they were at 2 dollars 1 dollars because of you know recession so one of those stocks increased from $1 to $20 within one week and i sold all of my stocks and that was the day i decided i'm going to leave wall street mm-hmm. because there were so many moments of unhappiness frustration and clearly feeling that this is not my conscious purpose and i need to get out of it and i have huge respect for the feminine energy i come from lineage of tantra where we honor feminine energy in a very sacred way and i clearly saw in wall street there wasn't enough respect for women and that wasn't 
I didn't align well with it because I would wake up or and sleep, you know, by meditating on these feminine goddesses that come from Tantra. And then I see the real woman not being empowered or acknowledged for their hard work. So there were a lot of things that just didn't align my bigger mission. And I knew I had to step out. So when I saw the money, like, you know, when the, I sold the stocks, I was like, okay, this is a good financial cushion for me to leave this, you know, jungle of Wall Street and find jungle of my own, which I didn't know what exactly it would look like. But I knew for sure Wall Street is not my jungle. So that ended my journey with Wall Street. I love it. And I think a lot of our listeners out there can relate to that lifestyle where you make money on Wall Street, you buy the big home, yet you're just so stressed out. And, you know, you're living right. in a concrete jungle. You know, you you mm-hmm. had the analogy of the jungle. It's a concrete jungle. You know, it's really right. not tapped into that inner wisdom of our souls. It's more of the external validation of seeking something outside of ourselves. Right. So, you know, I think a lot of people that are on the spiritual path, whether they know it, everyone's on the spiritual path, whether they know it or not. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that some of us are just further along or kind of we're figuring it out as we go, as we all are. But, you know, to any of those listeners out there that might be resonating with that message, whether you're on Wall Street or just leading a really chaotic, stressed out life, what are some tips that you can advise people on how to connect with their inner wisdom that society and culture and schools and institutions, they don't want us to know all this stuff because it takes our power back. So what is something, you know, a simple tool or mantra or something that would be helpful for listeners to Mm -hmm. access if they're still in that grueling, soul-crushing environment today? Yeah, it's a great question, Jessica. And, you know, I would suggest the same thing that helped me. So one of the thing was feeling the gratitude, like living the life of gratitude, which basically means counting your blessings, counting your strength and have gratitude for your gifts, have gratitude for your strengths. I mean, I was surrounded by this powerful wisdom of the gurus. I never thought this is one of the things that that is my gift. It took me a while to realize that, you know, everyone who's connected with me on any emotional or spiritual or intimate level in life, it's because of that spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn to embrace my gift. I had to, I started being more grateful for this one basic, like important gift that I got from my lineage, which was the gift of diving deeper into consciousness, diving deeper into meditation, because it was a very effortless. I mean, there was effort of being effortless, but a very joyful and loving journey of being deeper into my awareness. So number one thing I want to suggest everyone have gratitude for your own strength, have gratitude for your gifts. Those gifts may not be validated by your family. They may not be validated by the society. And that's perfectly fine. As long as you validate them, as long as you live your gifts and have gratitude for them, that's extremely important. And number two, have courage to live your truth, have courage to speak your truth. It took me a lot of courage to really, you know, leave Wall Street because it was good money. I mean, I was very young. I was in my early 20s. So I wasn't making any millions of dollars. But for an early 20 year old boy, it was pretty good money. I never had to think about spending money on anything. And It took a lot of courage to leave that glamorous life, that good money, and really dive deeper 
into a path of unknown, which brings me to the third point, which is trusting the unknown. If you're not trusting the unknown and constantly chasing the known elements in your life, you'll miss out on your own blooming. You'll miss out on your highest potential. So gratitude, courage, and trust. You can start with gratitude and then blend in courage and then start trusting you know what life has to offer to you and while blending all these three together remember not to live in the past and don't project the future but fully be available to the present moment awareness because that's where the magic really is totally and you know as you were talking about the first tip uh, focusing on gratitude i remember really explicitly when I found gratitude and it wasn't like Mm -hmm. the gratitude that lives in your head. It's not the gratitude that comes around once a year on Thanksgiving. (laughs) It's the gratitude that permeates your whole being. And then it's like, it all of a sudden clicked one day. This was probably a few years ago. I don't know, like five years ago, maybe. And all of a sudden it clicked. And then the inner transformation of like not just saying oh i'm thankful and like so many people kind of are in this robotic script of being like yeah thank you and like you're just living in your head but real true gratitude is feeling it deeply through every cell of your being and like just being Mm -hmm. so profoundly thankful like whatever like is coming through you at that moment and it's an unreal experience when you tap into this is that what you're talking about yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I feel gratitude is so underrated. Like people don't, you know, really understand the power of gratitude. It's very simple, but so immensely powerful. Totally. And there was a definite transformation that I saw in my mm-hmm. life when I accessed that deeper gratitude. It's not the head. It's not logical. And it's not practical. Like, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Like, we go around all day <laughs> saying thank you. And it's just like, you're we're disconnected. It's like, we're disembodied almost like our heads everywhere in our culture. It's like you see those little diagrams of like a head being disconnected from the body on the science for restrooms and stuff. And like we walk around being like these robots, like our head being separate from our body. But no, Mm -hmm. when you integrate the head with your body and actually feel the beauty that comes from a deep purifying gratitude, your whole life transforms. And then the universe winks at you. And I think when you got that, you know, money from the stock, the universe was kind of winking and being like, yeah, you're tapped in now. I'm going to throw you some cash so you can go about your spiritual ways. So I love that story. And and I think it shows really the power of synchronicity and the power of our emotions to create our reality. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think I was so ready to leave that space. But looking around every friend of mine, you know, they were struggling to find a good job and I had a good job. And leaving that job, I knew it wouldn't come easy, right? I have to go through a lot of courage and struggle within just my own chatter. And when I saw the money, I was like, I think this is it. I don't need to look any further. I don't need to think any further. And I remember going to the restroom in my office and iPhones were very fresh and new at that time. There were no apps. So I went to the Safari browser, opened eTrade.com, sold my stocks and done. I was done within mm-hmm. like 10 minutes. And yep, that that was it. At the same day, I told my boss, this is it. I'm ready to leave. Whenever you want to kick me out, just, you know, let me know. <laughs> I let, so you just went right to him in his office and you're like, hey, I'm ready to leave. You you kind of quit, yeah. but you let, you let him fire you, so to speak? Or? 
No, after I sold the stocks, I went to him. I, I told him, I don't want to, like, this is it. I don't want to work here anymore. And, he, you know, he was very understanding. And But he asked me, he's like, why do you want to leave? Did you see, like, there were people throwing stones at, the, at a bank just a few days ago? And you, you want to leave? Are you going to different bank? Or are you going to, like, different, you know, industry? I said, uh, I'll be joining the spiritual path. He's like, are you going to be a monk? Like, he couldn't understand the whole essence of it. So I explained to him. I even talked. That was the first I mentioned the word Tantra also. And I said, I want to do something with Tantra. I want to <laughs> take it from, you know, Wall Street to Washington, D.C., to Hollywood, to back to Himalayas. And his face was blank. I, I I could see he's not understanding any of that. In my head, I was like, that's exactly why I need to leave this place right now and, you know, come back with different version of my own energy. But at this point, I need to make an exit. Mm. And uh, he said, you know, can you stay for like a few days and train someone? So in the usual exit plans, I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I stayed there for, I don't know, two days or three days. I, I had already planned the other stuff. I ended up actually bringing students from my own college who needed the job and they worked in my place. Mm. So it, it all worked out perfectly, hopefully for them, but definitely for me, it worked out very nicely. Yeah. I love that because, you know, that business model is all about extricating as much as humanly possible from each person, not really right. caring about their soul, not caring about the human on the other side of the work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you kind of just took a stand for yourself and you were like, hey, like, this is my soul calling. This is what I'm going to do. And that's your life's work. That's your dharma. And yeah, I love how your book Absolutely. is called Break the Norms. It illuminates unconscious beliefs we carry about matters of sex, death, love, and ego, God, and gurus. Mm -hmm. You pretty much dissect everything that we're told, and it offers penetrating questions and self-inquiry practices that help us separate our own truth from the products of the status quo. So there are so many moments like this that you know, I go through personally that I'm like, is that mm. my belief or is that society's right. belief and constantly deconstructing what is really ours and what is societal conditioning is a never ending process. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you tackle we, some we, really complex issues. So it's really fascinating kind of how you explore this. So yeah, let's, let's dive in and talk about these really unconscious beliefs that we may carry around. Yeah, I think that kind of became, you know, my mission to touch these elements of our life, because I constantly saw how people are simply accepting or not exploring or questioning these very important elements of their life. You know, it could be the divinity, or the teachers or relationships or sexual energy. So I knew that for my first book, I definitely want to dive deeper into this layer of awareness and see where it takes me. And, you know, I'm really, really happy and really grateful how it shaped up and the response it's been getting for the last three years. It didn't feel that it's already been three years since the book is out, but it, it continues to receive very warm feedback. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, they're really universal truths that's in there. You know, it's pure universal truth that doesn't change over time. Right. And yeah. I was listening to one of your recent episodes on your podcast, and I love how you explain oh, nice. spiritual <laughs> awakening. Yeah, it really, you just, it, there's such a simplicity to it. You say spiritual awakening is no accident. It's a result of trusting, surrendering, and really aligning with your energies. While most seekers mm -hmm. love the idea of spiritual awakening, it's usually less than 1% of the seekers who do the work for it. 
because the modern marketing, like there's so much modern marketing out there that makes it look glamorous. (laughs) And like, I've been a product of this where most spiritual schools offer what resonates with your comfort zone. And that's so terrible Mm -hmm. for the real true spiritual work. So really demands you to unlearn trust and constantly surrender. And it's not easy. It's not glamorous. It's not these amazing photos on the top of a mountain where you are, you know, meditating. I mean, yeah, of course you could have amazing photos like that, but no one really knows the truth behind that photo and all of the barriers that have happened Mm -hmm. in that moment that have been allowing you to align with your higher energies. But there's just such a purity to your teachings. Why is simplicity so necessary? Simplicity is necessary, Jessica, because spirituality is very simple. And I always feel it's so simple that its simplicity has gone against it because you know i mean you know you have lived in la i live in la right now and i continue to see how people love a complex idea of cultivating self awareness i mean if i take into the fit you know example of the gym and the fitness schools people enjoy being part of something that's really tough and really like challenging to their body compared to something that could be very simple and easy because somewhere we enjoy being part of that tough journey because society rewards that rat race of winning, being competitive and being aggressive and being on that rough side of life. Mm -hmm. It could work great on certain levels for certain things, but in spirituality, it almost never works out well. Spirituality has to be simple. Because if it's simple, it will unfold in its most organic way. Because you know, when I say simple, you also have to understand the spiritual science is simple, but we are not simple. Our mind is very complex. You know, we are constantly building this circus around us and within us. So if you are embracing the kind of spirituality which is complex, it's not going to heal your complex mind. One complex science meeting your complex mind, that's not going to be the solution. At least one of them has to be simple. And in this case, the spiritual methods, the spirituality in itself has to be simple so that your complexity, your own conditioning and suppression could melt away, Mm. meeting the simplicity of spirituality. Totally. And I I come across people, I mean, this has been my job for 10 plus years to guide people, consult them, I have monthly guidance programs. And it it happens very often, especially when the people don't know me that well, and they're taking the session, they ask me, uh, so that's it. So you want me to do this? It sounds really simple. Or are you like holding back anything? I'm like, No, it's really that simple. Just do this for 10 minutes. And They're like, 10 minutes? Really? I mean, we were hoping it would be like 50 minutes. I said, you know, go for maximum 10 minutes and update me after one week. And trust me, after one week, they all tell me, at least 90% of the, of the people tell me they were not able to do it even for, you know, 10 minutes. Because the mind, the suppression, the conditioning starts to show up. Then I assure them, trust me, I've been doing this for a long time. The simplicity is important because your mind is going to become like a monster. The moment you start to do the cleansing, the moment you start to go through the spiritual detox, it, the mind is going to behave in a very arrogant and stubborn way. And that's why we have to start somewhere soft and organic. That's the only way to bloom in this journey. Yeah, the ego loves complexity because it makes you feel more valuable or it gives you like that certain high 
that we crave. It's like we're conditioned to mm -hmm. crave complexity and feeling like the 90 minute routine that we do in our mornings is actually right. getting us somewhere. And it's funny because I can see why that is so attractive. If you go from like a really stressful, chaotic job to letting everything right. go, it's like you're accessing a void. And you're like, wait, I need right. something to latch on to. I don't want to be in this dark hole <laughs> for the rest of my life. Give right. me something to do, something to feel quote unquote productive. But spirituality right. is not an accomplishment. It's not something you check off a box. It's something mm -hmm. where you just exist and you almost embrace the black hole that is the void and you let it wash exactly. over you and you just let it purify you, which is freaking scary for so many people that absolutely access this path or, or just starting out on this mm -hmm. path so you know i i remember when i i think we access it at different levels and at different times in our lives and it's for some people it's a sudden abrupt moment and all of a sudden it's like you just realize your deepest truth and other people it's a slow mm -hmm. unraveling and an unfolding so yeah it's interesting kind of how we approach how we come across these different paths in nonlinear ways. And it's, you know, it can be spiritual awakening can be super abrupt and life shattering, or it can unfold over time. So I love your take on it. Just do simple 20 minute routine instead of, you know, 90 minute routine, which is almost in a way a little bit OCD. It's, you know, I'm not going to judge right. anyone out there. Believe me, I've been on this path too, where it's like, I just want something. I want the meditation in the morning. I want the Palo Santo burning. I want, the, you know, it's like every step along the right. way in the morning helps you kind of feel like, oh, I checked that off my box. So now I can start my day. <laughs> and then it's like, by the end of the day, right. all you've been doing is preparing your mind for a meditation. So I'm curious, mm -hmm. what do you do in the mornings? Like, I know you tell your students to do certain things that are effective, but do you practice what you preach? What do your mornings look like? So, yeah, I, I got to practice what I preach, right? I uh, I have my own guru. So if I don't practice what I preach, I get a solid kick in my ego mm -hmm. by him. And he puts me back in my track. Also, if I don't practice what I preach, Jessica, then I basically, then I'm not recharging my batteries, right? If I'm not recharging, it starts to reflect pretty quickly in everything that I do. So it's been major, like part of my daily routine, but I'm more of a night meditator, but I'll tell you what I do in the mornings as well. I start my day uh, basically, you know, like, so this is the formula I stick to WPSM, which stands for W for wake up, P for P, S for shower, and M for meditate. So this is what I pretty much follow wake up, P, shower, and meditate. And when I meditate, this one ritual that I follow, I put, I offer flowers to the deities that I, you know, work on. So I, in Tantra, we, work with the deities the goddesses so i start with honoring them which basically which could look like many things in my case it's basically the rose petals that i offer to the deities and then i get into my meditation routine in the morning but before i would start the meditation i take a moment to honor my ancestors i honor them for staying strong for living their journey through me right now and i seek guidance and strength from all the known and the unknown masters. I also express my gratitude for my own strength, my own courage, and definitely gratitude for all the known and the unknown energies who have been guiding me and helping me. And then I get into my meditation. And the morning meditation 
stays less than one hour for me. And it could start from gentle, mindful breathing to diving deeper into certain chakras or certain mantras, depending on what exactly I'm going through or if there's anything specific I need to do that particular day because my job is of a spiritual teacher. So I work with a lot of different variety of cases, humans and all that. So my mantras change accordingly. And I tap onto the mantra which I need that day. But the night meditation, that's the one that I absolutely cherish because it's going back into the womb kind of meditation for me. You know, there's no appointment happening in the night. There's no calls or sessions. There's nothing. It's end of the day. So I light the candle. I, I have an altar where I sit. And uh, yeah, I never count the time. I never share the timing of my meditation publicly as well because it could easily boost your ego. Or sometimes it also puts a pressure on the listeners that, oh, he's meditating for this long. And I meditate for only like 20 minutes. Is that nothing? Do I need to also meditate as long as him? So we all have our own individual journeys. So I decided long time ago, I will not share my evening meditation time in public only because it keeps my ego on the back seat. And it also hopefully, you know, it, it would never pressurize anyone because I want people to stay with their strength rather than doing what somebody else is doing. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. How do you not fall asleep if you meditate right before bed? <laughs> it could be just my own thing. I personally love evenings and late nights. I mean, I feel lazy and grumpy in the sunlight. And I know you love sun. And I know a lot of people who love sun. I'm just a very different creature. I don't enjoy heavy sunlight. <laughs> so for me, my energy comes back to my body when, you know, it's all like dark. Mm. And I have a friend, a student, you know, who always says, I think you are a Dracula in disguise because how can you love darkness so much? But I, and this is not new. I mean, even since my high school days, I have always enjoyed the night meditations. I don't fall asleep. I used to fall asleep in the meditation in the very beginning days, but I enjoy the evening meditations. And yeah, there could be certain days when I'm immensely tired. And if I actually feel, you know, sleepiness, I try to channel that sleepiness into a certain state of awareness in my being. But, you know, honestly, you have to listen to your body. Like if it's my style, right? I work very well with the late night meditations and I never ever feel tired with it. But if you feel this makes you tired, go for the morning meditation. Mm -hmm. And I would even suggest if, you know, for some listeners who don't connect with evening or morning meditations, try, you know, something in the early evening, like 4 p.m. or 3 p.m. or 6 p.m. kind of time. You got to play with your timings, basically. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. I, I'm also a night creature. Actually, it's funny. I used to be so much more of a night meditator. I'm a mm. night. I love the evenings much more than the mornings because I feel like I can channel creativity a lot easier at night when everyone else shuts yeah. down goes to bed there's this like primal raw energy that i can access more so in the night you know when the moon is right. shining versus when that really bright sun comes in so it's honoring right. you know that surrendering to the 
lunar, the moon, the darkness that kind of comes out and knowing your schedules and learning kind of what suits you is really growth. I feel like in my opinion, and I've seen you write poetry and not actually I've seen you, but I've seen some of your poems, (laughs) which I know that you write at night. So yeah, that's a good observation, Jessica. Yeah, so I've I've seen you. <laughs> I keep saying I've seen you. It's like I feel like I've seen you, but we we've only met once in real life in LA. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but like my third eye sees you at night. I guess <laughs> that's I you know I totally believe it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not creepy at all because I feel your energy ends up inspiring me in many ways. So keep keep doing what you're uh, doing, honestly. <laughs> uh, you. Yeah, you know. It's a very interesting observation, you know, and you're so right. I think I write pretty much every poetry I've written. It's always late night. I don't think I've written anything in the morning sunlight or even during daytime. It's yeah, it's always in the late night hours. Mm. Yeah. And how has the poetry guided you on your path? Because I know that, you know, there's a lot of similarities from you know it's hard to even put this in words really because there's this like poetic existence that thrives on poetry and poetry is really hard Mm -hmm. to describe some of it at least but it has a lot to do with like this tantric energy and let's go let's just go Mm -hmm. right into tantra and then we can swirl back again and talk about poetry but tantra is much more than a sexual practice it's an ancient Vedic science based on experiencing all human emotions, joy, anger, sexuality, Mm -hmm. sadness, and everything in between, where nothing is considered good or bad. Everything is just accepted as a part of us that can be channeled into source energy. And I find Mm -hmm. that as we're talking about night energy and stuff, it really honors the tantric poetry that becomes paramount in the evening hours. So, yeah, let's I'd like to hear kind of yeah. like your take on all this. I'm really happy you connected poetry with tantra because that's how I understand my poetic journey honestly. So, let me first talk about tantra, right? I've always been meditating. I don't have a memory of my life where I was not obsessed with divinity or not obsessed with spirituality. Over the years, obviously, it got polished. You know, I came across teachers. I started studying, you know, sincerely with teachers. And after my father took me under his wings as, you know, as a guru, you know, a lot of things changed for me. But there was an important part in my life when I was in need of courage. Because, you know, like when you're a teenager or high school kid, you have this inferior complex. You feel you don't fit in that something is wrong with you. And that's where Tantra stepped in because one of the important principles of Tantra is that you are absolutely enough and you're not moving from imperfection to perfection, but you're moving from perfection to perfection. So when I first heard this principle, this mantra from Tantric traditions, I was like, so really, is that the truth? I'm not moving from imperfection to perfection. There's nothing wrong with me. And I need to just embrace who I am and that will, you know, just help me evolve. And I started embracing this principle. It started changing me. And then I started exploring, you know, more in the Tantra world. And slowly, gently, it started changing my world. And poetry, I always enjoyed writing. And I used to write poetry in Hindi. And my grandfather was a poet in Farsi and Urdu, you know, back in India. 
so his poetry was definitely you know around me and uh, it was inspiring me and i always enjoyed listening to the music with poetry and when my father my teacher he told me that i will not be able to go beyond a certain state of awareness if i don't embrace the feminine within me and it was around that time i knew only poetry can crack me up there's nothing else that can crack me up and i didn't want to depend on any other human being i mean i know there are people who fall in love and they look for the perfect partners who can help them become softer and all that and tantra doesn't recommend that tantra says go within you do not need anyone from the outside you got to go within so i had to go within and see if i can help my own self be soft and surrendered and you know receptive and poetry became this interesting guide this interesting religion road map for me and even till this date i do not sleep without reading at least one poem or at least writing one poem it doesn't take me a long to write one nowadays because i think there's pretty much nothing else that i'm in this deep level of love with my world is really weaved around divinity poetry and the world of the cosmic out there so yeah it shows up on its own like at this point i don't even try to write in the night like when the night sets in like my poetic you know warrior the uh, poetic instinct starts to wake mm. up i totally relate to that yeah there's something about the sun setting and just getting raw and primal with our energies right. which a lot of society today doesn't like to acknowledge like when the sun sets mm-hmm, it's like okay mm-hmm. i can just put put away my anger for the day i'm going to go drink i'm going to go numb my pain where tantra is actually like no like acknowledge your pain tap into that go deep mm-hmm. and there's such a profound mm-hmm. state of awareness that comes from accessing that layer of our humanity that is absolutely so real and it's yeah even in the bad there's good cuz you you really mm-hmm. just like take off it's like taking off your clothes and surrendering to the mm. divine taking it's i don't know it's the analogy i'm getting right now it's just kind of stripping down naked in front of yourself absolutely like, this is my absolutely. human body and flesh form show me the way <laughs> god or universe oh, whatever it is that you believe in there's a higher power that is apparent at the end of the day that comes out and you just strip away all of the surface and superficial and you get real. Oh absolutely and you while I was listening to you that could be a poetry in its own way. I mean I think you should expand on it and write it and publish it on your Instagram because this is such a poetic way of describing tantra the way you did it and that's really what it is you know it's being absolutely vulnerable with your inner self it's being absolutely naked you know with the cosmic and i know for sure i wouldn't have been able to become this person that i am and the person i'm becoming every day if i didn't go into tantra i would have been just a very a typical aggressive masculine energy who would never open up it it was very difficult for me to express my emotions you know it was very difficult for me to just be vulnerable and i knew that's not normal it didn't feel normal and when i couldn't go beyond a certain you know meditative stage and my guru told me you know that's why you're not able to go beyond because you got to embrace the feminine so i knew in that moment it's time to go deeper it's time to really let go and trust the unknown mm-hmm. and it's still happening you know it's a lifelong journey totally yeah and that's how i see poetry it's you know trusting the unknown you don't know what words are going to 
come out and be unearthed in you when you get real and vulnerable, but that's part of the beauty of it. And that's also how I see podcasting. You know, podcasting is a spiritual practice for me. It's, you know, I find beautiful souls like you and I hop on these calls and I just, you know, you just get raw and real and you don't know what's going to come on the other side of it. There's a lot of uncertainty going into these interviews and there's profound beauty innate in it. So... Yeah, you know, I love you explained a podcast as a spiritual practice because I started my podcast a few months ago and, you know, it wasn't a comfort zone for me. I have done a lot of, you know, stuff on the camera, a lot of stuff in writing, but podcasting, yep, that was never ever a comfort zone because I thought, you know, it's just voice. So I don't know if that's going to connect with people. And then I, I was like, you know, it's really challenging me right now. It's really uncomfortable. So let's do it only because it feels so uncomfortable. And honestly, it's been such a beautiful healing process to just sit like in front of the mic. There's no human around and I'm just talking and going deeper into my own emotions and downloading the you know wisdom for the listeners. It's fabulous. It's fantastic. And you are one of those people who definitely made me take note of the podcast world because I know you have been on it for so long and, you know, you're doing so well. When I listen to your episode, it makes sense why you're doing well in this world because you you are just so raw and so real when, when it comes to podcasting. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I really find so much value in it. I've learned how to kind of carve out my unique path. And I think we all have our own, you know, some people prefer video for me. There's such intimacy with the voice without Mm -hmm. any of the stimulus associated with video. It's just Mm -hmm. pure. Mm -hmm. It's audio. It's multidimensional. You know, it really allows the listeners to use their imagination and just like poetry. There's a lot of imagination. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of unknown that is involved with the podcasting medium and, you know, Absolutely. it really is about using your, you know, love, self-love. It's a process of self-love so that you can use your introversion to your advantage. And I know that you're a fellow introvert as well. So I feel like podcasting is great for introverts <laughs> who have a voice, oh, have a strong voice. So <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what are the um, I know you mentioned you're going to be getting deeper into some interviews and stuff. So how is that going to be reflected in your work? Are you going to be incorporating some of the interviews into your book? What does that look like for you? You know, I haven't thought about integrating the interviews in the book, but that could be a good idea, honestly. Like right now, so my thing was, I'll start the podcast, I'll play with it and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting, you know, anything out of it. I was just enjoying the process. And now it's been like 40 episodes, I think, so far. And I, I keep getting amazing feedback. I'm actually very surprised by the feedback. So I thought, you know, after I complete a certain number of episodes, I don't know, maybe another 25 or 50, I have no clue right now, then I'll definitely start inviting more guests and just, you know, go deeper into the conversation. And I think the conversations I want to have is basically helping them question what they think they knew and diving deeper into the, into the elements that me and the guests would feel uncomfortable. I know for sure I don't want to have easy conversations i want to go pretty intense and raw uh, with it and that's why i'm you know not starting right away because i can picture and feel the emotions within me uh, if i start to get into conversations with the guest and it's going to 
get very heavy for me as well. And that's why I feel I need to make it happen. So let's see. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot of the leaders out there today are really breaking the taboo of gender yeah, expression. So cool. And it's still taboo for women to publicly celebrate, you know, our physicality and our sexuality in Western culture. And I feel like mm-hmm, tantra, mm-hmm. So, tantra is so misunderstood that when a woman embraces that side of her, like society just sees it as an expression of her sexuality versus her sensuality. And I mean, they're very different things, but I really want to explore this topic because, you know, with the social media culture out there today, like female sex appeal is ubiquitous. And there's such right. a shadow version of that that really stems, it goes way far back in history. So how do we change that? Mm. How do we change when a woman wants to step into her power as a sensual being who appreciates her light and her dark? How can people see and view and regard women as these sensual creatures that can be expressing them their gender and their their views on sexuality in a way that doesn't objectify them. I think it's such a sensitive and important topic. You know, we could have like a series of conversations or even books written on this topic. I genuinely feel feminine energy is very sensual energy. The more you witness a woman, the more you witness her feminine energy, the more, you know, she blooms unapologetically. And I feel... Mm -hmm. Like, this is how I explain feminine energy. I feel the feminine is the root chakra of the entire universe. So if the root energy is not honored, if the root energy is not empowered, it's going to affect the collective consciousness of the world. In Tantra, we have this interesting mantra which says, wherever the feminine is not honored and empowered, the divinity is not present there. And wherever feminine is empowered, and loved and acknowledged, that's where divinity blooms. So I feel one of the most important thing in this process is for the feminine to embrace their femininity. In Wall Street or in certain places, I continue to see where there are more men present or more masculine energies present. Women uh, hold back their feminine energy. I actually got a beautiful message from this young girl in uh, London who explained she's working in a place where you know there's a lot of men around her and she finds it very difficult to express her feminine energy to express her emotion to express who she is because you know she feels scared that it's not going to be taken well and she's not the only one it's everywhere and i feel instead of trying to fix the other out there let's start to work within first because i know for sure i have come across many women jessica and i've seen when a woman is absolutely honoring her own sensuality. She's owning that sensuality in the most unapologetic way. It almost forces a man or anyone around her to respect that. But when a woman is not feeling joyful or truthful in her own sensuality or in her own sexual energy, it definitely affects the energy around her. So one thing that needs to happen, that women need to fully embrace and celebrate and connect the sensuality with divinity and take it beyond the physical because sensuality starts from physical but it concludes in the cosmic it concludes in the spiritual aspect of who they are and when they continue 
to embrace and empower their own sensual and emotional energy, trust me, it will force the men to upgrade their perspective, to change their perspective toward women. If there are so many strong and amazing women that I know who feel confused about their sensual energy, especially when it comes to, you know, men, they're like, I don't know, how should I express it? And they get too much into the physical, the sexual part of life. And that's where they start to lose that sensuality. But as much as I understand feminine, you know, feminine energy wants to just play. You know, she wants to be in that, in the zone of playfulness. She doesn't want to be owned by a man in that moment, but she wants to express and bloom. And then she wants the man to join her and bloom together. But she needs that space to bloom. She's like a gentle seed planted in the soil. Mm -hmm. If it's nurtured well, if it's taken care of well, but taken care in a way, you don't step on it. You step back, let the seed bloom, let it grow, let it evolve. And then it really, the fragrance is out there. So you're not controlling it, not trying to tame it. So I can keep talking about this. <laughs> it's something I feel very strongly about. Oh my about. gosh, I feel like I could talk to you all day about this. It's so important today and I love how you address it. Yeah, it's a step up from not objectifying the norms of the previous decades. You know, we're no longer objectifying so. women. You know, it's planting the seed and watching it grow and then nurturing it and, you know, not ogling the beautiful flower that comes out. But like, Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, this was... I never planned for this role, honestly. I never ever like imagined or thought I, I'll be talking about feminine energy. I'll be talking about how to empower women because it just never occurred to me. I don't even know when this role started to choose me and women started to reach out to me for this. And I mean, the first request was, can you talk to men about this? I'm like, about what? They're like, how you talk about women. So it's like, I don't know if any men wants to listen to this stuff because men would often unfollow me whenever I would like acknowledge or empower women in my poetry and stuff. And some men would even reach out to me that you are biased against, like you're biased for women. You you put them on a higher pedestal. So I was like, yeah, I mean, they are on a higher pedestal. I mean, they are the root. That's from where we came from. How can we not honor it? So I don't even know. It was never part of the plan when this became one of my voices. And now, today, I actually come across women. I mean, so many of them are my students now who want me to talk about how to empower and bloom that feminine energy. I'm like, okay, I'll take on this role. It's a very honoring role. And yeah, I'll see where it goes. But it's been like so many years. I genuinely feel the goddesses that I was meditating upon for the last like 20 years, they are showing up and they are helping me to help these women. It's such a sacred responsibility and i feel immensely grateful to be able to do that for them yeah well that's what happens when you get naked with the cosmic <laughs> you never yeah. know what's gonna come out and that's a beautiful path and it is truly sacred and your work in this right. world is really divine and sacred chandrash so thank you for sharing thank all you. of your wisdom with us <laughs> where can uh, listeners go to find you online they can find me on Instagram. My username is CB Meditates. My website is also the same, cbmeditates.com. My book and podcast is the same title, Break the Norms. So that's where I am. And, you know, feel free to listen to my stuff or reach out if you have any questions after this podcast. 
you know you gave me uh, jessica very beautiful word naked with the cosmic or being naked with the cosmic i think it could be one of my books or your books you're <laughs> free to take the title as well <laughs> Yeah, we'll go meditate on that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, Shanja. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You made it to the end of this podcast. This means the world to me. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Feel free to hop on over to my podcast website, artofhumanity.io, for show notes or past interviews. You can also message me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My name is Jessica Ann, and my handle is beingishuman. That's B-E-I-N-G-I-S-H-U-M-A-N. I'd love to hear from you and learn more about what you've enjoyed from this episode. If you really love this podcast, I'd highly appreciate it if you went on Apple Podcasts right now and left a review. It helps way more than you know. You can also share this episode with two of your friends who you think would enjoy it. Let's get the Art of Humanity movement going. Thank you for listening. Until the next episode, evolve your business with the art of humanity. Listen, explore, evolve.